I was listening to a little video clip during the week online of um, John Wimber, and he was, um, for those who may not know, and you're visiting with us, but John Wimber was one of the founding fathers of the Vineyard Movement, and uh, it was a small little bit of testimony that he was sharing of when um, he invited this young man to come to his church one Sunday night by the name of Lonnie Frisbee, and there's a there's a DVD on the life story of Lonnie, and Lonnie was a very interesting character, just really under the grace of God. The Spirit of God was on him, and he was probably not what you would call um, constrained by culture, you know, the square box that culture likes to put us in, and or, or even church culture likes to put us in, Christian culture. And he was very much just like a f- flowed with the Holy Spirit, and Lonnie, if you saw pictures of him right in the early parts of his life, he had, you know, he had the full-blown Jesus hair and Jesus beard and sort of wore these um, flowing clothes and stuff. But wherever Lonnie went, God would just like blow the place up with his presence, with his Holy Spirit. Anyway, John was sharing in this testimony uh, this little video clip about how um, in, I think it was 90, either 79 or 80, I can't quite remember, 1979 or 80, John, at the end of the morning service, felt like the Holy Spirit said to him, I want you to ask that young man to preach tonight. And so he went over to, um, to Lonnie and he said, would you preach it tonight? And Lonnie was like, yes, I've been waiting for this moment. Yes, yes, yes. And he got all excited and at the John was just dying because he knew what was going to happen. He was like, oh, you know, everything's going to break loose. And sure enough, Lonnie comes on that night to church and he just shares a simple message and he says, oh, by the way, um, you know, the Holy Spirit's telling me that, you know, um, um, you've been offended by his presence and he's, but he wants you to know he completely forgives you and he's about to visit you again. And I was just, you know, watching that little video. And anyway, as John tells the account, um, he tells the account from us like, and at that point, Lonnie invited the Holy Spirit, just very simply, Holy Spirit, would you come now? And, and, and it just completely obliterated everyone in the room, particularly the young people that were there. They got completely hammered by the Holy Spirit. One guy fell over on the stage and he had the microphone sort of stuck near his mouth as he hits the floor and he just like just starts babbling in tongues, you know, like, blah, 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 you know, and now this is for, a, this was, at this stage, the, the story of the Vineyard Church was this stuff doesn't, wasn't happening. This was kind of like pre-Vineyard type, the, the, the lead up to who we are today, but it was really informative as to who we are today. Anyway, so people were getting wiped out in the Holy Spirit, people were speaking in tongues for the first time, some people were... John was quite animated when he tells the story. He says some people folded up their Bible, put it under their arm and walked out the door and never came back. You know, it was everything and in between. And, um, uh, you know, and even at, at, at some point along the way, there's someone, you know, on their way out the door with the book under their arm, completely upset with what was going on, said, this, this is, you know... Um, to the effect, I'm paraphrasing here, um, what's going on in there, John? This is totally unacceptable, you know? And, and they're sort of like this with him, holding the book. And John said, have you, have you not read the book? Everything that's going on in there is in the book. 
and, and, and then began the story of the, you know, the vineyard. And, um, but one of the things that John said as he told this, because it happened on Mother's Day in 1979-1980, it was the first time of great visitation of the Holy Spirit to the church. He said, you'd think you'd be safe in church on Mother's Day. You'd think you'd be safe in church on Mother's Day. Well, I just want to let you know, this, you're not. <laughs> you're not safe, all right? Because the living God, the living God, his spirit is here and he's engaging with us and he's prodding us with his love and he's stirring us and he's saying, come on, engage with my love for your life my purposes for your life. So I just want to let you know, it's, this is not a safe environment, and if you want safety, don't come here to this place. I just want to let you know, this is not safe in terms of we, we do hunger for the presence of God. And I'm not just talking the knowledge of God. I'm talking the knowledge of God here, but I'm also talking about the manifest, tangible power and presence of God when he moves among us. We have always hungered for his presence and we just long for him more and more to, to upset our day with his good kingdom life and order. So on, in those terms, yes, you are safe. You are safe because God is amazing. He's awesome. He knows what he's up to. Now, the last few weeks, um, we've been jogging through Philippians 2 and we're going to kind of go there again, I think, and... Um, in Philippians 2, we've been looking at how Paul talks about what it means to genuinely be connected to Jesus or united to Jesus. And if you read through Philippians 2, there's actually quite a divine pattern or a divine order that's in that account. If you actually read it, there's like a, there's like a if, you know, with the help of the Holy Spirit, there's a divine order of of things that in, can happen to a person's life who is united to Jesus. And um, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But if you have your Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 2, or if you've got your, um, your, your mobile app, just open it up to Philippians chapter 2. And we're just going to read this again, because we, we, want, we want this living, dynamic Word, Bible, to conform us to the fullness of Jesus, because that's what God does with his word. He shapes us. He shapes us. Uh, Philippians 2, if you've got any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we made a point last week of just, it's not like God sends fear on our lives. That's not what's going on. What's surfacing there for Paul is saying when we get connected to Jesus, all of our broken, inherent, sin-based, proud-based fear of and need for control in our life starts to shake under the presence of love invading our life. So work it through because salvation is at work in us, transforming us. So everything that's anxious about life is, is now going, oh my gosh, I'm about to get overtaken by love. And for many of us, we haven't ever walked in that freedom. We haven't walked in that freedom. It's the work of God. It's his salvation at work in us. Uh, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose, do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you can become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I might boast on the day of Christ that I did not run and labour for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. And so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I just had a little pick up there on the way through as I was reading that. Um, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. My goodness, if there isn't, I mean, our culture and our world, particularly in the West, is obsessed with being noticed. Hello? We are, we are obsessed with this broken driver that says, would somebody please notice me? And we spend a lot of time investing in the pursuit of that goal, that someone would say, wow, look at them, look at them. And I find it interesting that, that Paul here says, Paul here is just pointing out, this is just a pickup on the way through here that the Holy Spirit's talking to me about, um, that to shine like a star in the universe is to be standout, is it not? When we stand and we stare at the heavens and we look at the unique standout realities of the heavens, they catch our attention. They catch our imagination. They awaken us to the reality of there has got to be more when I just observe the greatness of the heavens at night. Um, but Paul's saying for that standout difference to be on the people of Jesus, it's connected to the lifestyle of declaring and living and handing out the word of Jesus to people along the way. That's what makes us stand out. The reason why the, the people don't see us, the reason why people don't acknowledge us, the people, people in the world don't actually think we're much of a standout, because maybe we're actually not handing out the word of life. There's a connection there. Now, God's not opposed to work, 
Well, sorry, God, in terms of your salvation, he's not opposed to effort in terms of working it out with him. And so here Paul is just inviting us yet again to, um, you want to be a standout? You want to be someone of significance and difference? Start handing out Jesus to people. Start holding him up to people. Yesterday afternoon, um, my youngest, she decided that she wanted to go and visit um, the neighbour next door and give us some flowers. So, you know, probably over the last sort of 12 months, we've maybe done that three or four times. We're just starting to sort of foster more friendship and relationship. And a little while ago, our next door neighbour fell and had a very bad accident. And she, um, she broke both her feet in, her, in the accident. She fell like a couple of metres and landed on her feet and they were broken and we didn't realize this until uh, we saw her one day on the driveway in a wheelchair with feet both feet in plaster and Nicole went over to her and just started talking with her what happened got the story got the backstory and Nicole just said can we can we pray for you and she was like oh yes dear yes dear, that's fine and Nicole said no can we pray for you right now and she said oh okay and so we prayed and the love of Jesus just washed over this woman tears start falling and rolling and just the fact that as we're holding out Jesus to somebody the standout reality of God's love started to touch this woman's life well anyway she's up and going again and every time we see her over the the little hedge on the driveway she yells out my feet are fantastic they're better than when before I broke them we're like going yay Jesus you know that's our simple testimony yay Jesus isn't God good you know we're pointing at him yeah, isn't he good? Well, anyway, yesterday my youngest decides she wants to take some flowers over, and so she took some flowers over. And um, uh, then uh, at the front door, um, our neighbour comes to the front door, and, and she's like, she's got her arm in a sling. And uh, anyway, Sarah goes in and delivers the flowers, and I'm just sort of standing back a little ways. And uh, anyway, um, she comes back to the front, and, and I said, What have you done? And she said, well, I was staying over with, you know, at a friend's house and anyway, in the middle of the night I was trying to go to the bathroom and anyway, I slipped over thinking I was at the door and it wasn't a door, it was a wall and I was off balance and strange place and I hit the floor and I broke, you know, the little piece of shoulder bone that sits over the top of your thing, your ball joint there in your shoulder and I'm very technical with my medical terms as you can tell. And she said it snapped and she said it broke off and so they've had to put a metal plate in there and anyway, it's all bruised up and stuff like this. And before we could even say anything else, she says, can you pray for us? Before we even were able to say, can we pray for you? She's, she's like, can you pray for us? Said, sure we can. No troubles. And away we go. You know, it's handing out Jesus to people is what people are really wanting. They're really wanting the hope that their hearts are crying out for. The standout, the standout reality about all of us in here that have said yes to Jesus is that we've said yes to him and he, his love and life and power is on us to give away as hope in a rather crooked and depraved generation. If you want people to notice you in a healthy way, start handing out Jesus. Start handing out Jesus. 
and the adventure begins. I love watching online when people start doing that sort of stuff and they make all these crazy little comments about what God's doing when they do that. It's fantastic stuff. It's fantastic stuff. Well, the last few weeks we've talked about humility. There's a divine pattern in Philippians 2 that I would quickly want to tear through very quickly. But before we get there, there's a... um, there's a, uh, um, a story in the Gospels, in Luke's Gospel, about how um, Jesus goes to uh, the temple to pray when he's a little boy. And as he's in the temple, he's praying, he's only a youngster. Um, the parents, Mary and Joseph, leave town. They, they're gone uh, even a few days down the road travelling and they realise, oops, we've lost Jesus. <laughs> Every parent's, ah, <laughs> we've lost one. And so, sure enough, they backtrack and they find Jesus back there in, um, in the temple where they left him. And they said, uh, you know, what are, what are you doing? Where have you been? And he's like, well, what, I've always been exactly where I should be. Didn't you know I'd be here? And at the end of that in Luke's gospel, sorry, I'm just having a bit of trouble here with my PowerPoint here. At the end of that, um, let me see if that pops it up. Now, oh, there we go. That's better. At the end of that, Luke 2.52, there's this really interesting little phrase that Dr. Luke thought it was important to pick up. And it says this, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. Now, hang on a minute. Isn't he the son of God incarnate? come from heaven in all his fullness, incarnate in the earth, in flesh, just like you and me, taking on the limitations of our earth suit, so to speak? Well, yes, he is. But it's interesting that the gospel writers made a point of saying, Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in in terms of who he is in the eyes of others, he grew in that. And he also grew in favour with the Father and with others. And you see it in Acts 2 as well, when the Holy Spirit's being poured out on the people of Jesus at Pentecost. All of a sudden, the account starts to say that these people received the favour of men or the people of the community around them. I want to suggest to you that the reason why Luke put that in there is to call people to grow up because Jesus did. To call people to grow up because Jesus had to. He took the journey that we all need to take. In other words, for the student of Jesus, for the disciple, for the one who's made Jesus master and you've chosen to be student, it means you need to grow up. You're on a lifelong journey of growing up. Um, I wanted this morning to talk about authority a little touch because um, I thought it was funny on Friday night. My eldest daughter, she was out driving with my father, her grandfather. They were driving down to youth group. And anyway, sure enough, on their way down here, um, the police pulled them over. And my, my, my oldest, Caitlin, she's on a learner's. And so my dad was in the passenger seat there. And anyway, this is the first time the police had pulled her over. So anyway, it was a great occasion, great occasion. (laughs) 
Anyway, after all of the nervousness and not, not sure on what button was to open the windows and all of that sort of stuff in the moment, she blew in the bag and so did my dad. And Anyway, it was a, it, they laughed and joked about it and thought it was a great first for their relationship together, you know. Anyways, uh, and I got the story at the end of the night. But it's interesting that... Um, you know, they're just driving along, but when this, when this person dressed in this particular uniform, wearing this particular badge, wearing, in, endorsed by the, the ruling authority of the land and the, and the resources of that authority, that government, given that uniform, steps out onto the road and goes like this, automatically, people obey. There's, see, now, if, if that same person dressed in just their everyday bawdies, flip-flops and tank top stood out the front and went, more than likely people would drive past and they wouldn't stop. It's because that same person, when in uniform, has authority to stop the traffic. You ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that when the police come up behind you in the rear vision mirror, all of a sudden your heart starts racing a little quicker? Your eyes start to sort of glance at the speedo a bit more intensely? Your hands sweat a little bit? It's because they're endowed with an authority to to play a role in in, in our sphere of life. And that role is called authority. They've been given boundaries of that authority, They've been given um, ways to move in that authority and exercise that authority and ways that they're not allowed to exercise that authority. Like they can't just be in uniform and flip the lights on and decide I want to go through the red light because I want a pizza in a hurry. Well, they're not meant to. <laughs> so it's, there's, 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 there's boundaries to that functioning of authority that the, that the officer has. And... Um, Having authority is knowing that they can exercise that right, that power. I'm not talking about power. I'm talking about the right to exercise influence or power. So I'm not talking about the actual power itself. I'm talking about the right to. And the reason why they have the right to is because we have given them the authority to do that, to play that role in our life. Well, in in regards to the kingdom of God, Jesus... His last words before he sort of, um, well, they're not his last words, they're probably his last, his last words on planet Earth uh, before he went to be in the heavens with the Father. But as his feet are lifting up and he says, hey, guys, all authority has been given to me. All authority on heaven and on earth and under the earth, it's all been given to me. Go into all the world and do the works of the kingdom. Make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus makes a claim of complete authority. He's, he's, he's now defeated death. He's now risen and victorious and, and broken the back of the work of the enemy to separate man from God. He's now re-established that. He's now established there's a new way to be human being on planet Earth. There's a new way to be human being on planet Earth. And that new way is actually the very original way, which is to be in friendship with God, with each other and the created order. 
And so there's a new way to do that, and I've got the authority to make it happen. And then he says, so he makes that claim about himself, and then he says to his people, now go. Now in the sending, he is releasing the authority that is his to go. It's, in, it's a giveaway in the commissioning. Go. Go and do it. Now, we are all carriers, for those of us who've said yes to Jesus, we are all carriers of the authority of Jesus, and now we get to, in relationship with the one who is authorised, the one who has given us the resources of his governing kingdom to now extend that rule and reign into people's lives and circumstances. I'm not talking about the power, I'm just talking about the right to participate and exercise the power. It all comes out of being in relationship with Jesus, united with Jesus. Authority is the right to exercise the power of the kingdom of God through intimate relationship with Jesus as king, as he was servant. So we're here to serve, and that's why our police are called public servants. That's why our politicians are supposed to be public servants. Servant living. So in all, it doesn't matter whether it's a kingdom culture, if it's a worldly culture um, or not. All modes of operation and authority are, are like this. They start with a servant. If you want to be in power and exercise power, you must first be a servant. There's no way of skipping from where you are to all authority and power without first becoming a servant. It's like you go back, you look at all the politicians that we have now running around in Canberra. Most of them started somewhere handing out flyers for someone else who was campaigning. They were serving another and through the process of serving got their calling, established their own agenda, their own sphere of influence, and got promoted, people followed, and on they went. And now they're in parliament and positions of influence. Same in the kingdom of God. There is a process to this, this divine order. Jesus started as a servant. Now, a doulos, a servant, is a doulos in the Greek, and basically what that means is Paul's taking the term and he's saying um, a servant is someone in his context and culture is someone who has been under a master and the master has had the right over their life, over their eating, their breathing, their sleeping, their work life, everything, their monies, the lot. They were under their master. They were a, a slave to their master. And um, so they serve their time and at the end of that time, The master goes to the servant and says, you've served your time, you're now free to go. Here's all your resource, here's the favour that you've gained while you've been with me, here you go, see you later. Now, a doulos servant, a bond slave, is someone who's been through that process and then at the end of that tenure of servant living, says to the master, once they've got their papers for freedom, they say to the master, you know what? There is nowhere that life can be any better than right here with you as my master. And what they would do in this context and culture is they would, they would go and they would get a piece of metal and they would go to the door, 
doorpost of the home, of the master's home, they would put their ear up to it and they would drive a metal stake through their ear and into the doorpost to say to the master, I freely choose out of my own will and volition to serve you for all my days because you are a good master. This is who we are invited to be. We are invited to come and have our life pierced and nailed to his life because there is no other master that could love us like Jesus. It starts right there. To move in authority and exercise kingdom power, spiritual power and influence. And I know a whole bunch of you guys are butting your heads up against walls of resistance. I want to invite you, start again. Come back to this place. Nail your life to Jesus again and become a servant of his. Jesus made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a bond slave, a doulos. But have a look where that led to him in this divine pattern. He chose to humble himself. He thought of himself with sober judgment and he humbled himself. We spoke about this last week and I won't go into that other than to say, C.S. Lewis said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's actually thinking of yourself less. Um, He obeyed even to death on a cross I mean, I mean, I, you may be able to see it up there, but, and I love it. It's just a little play on the word obedience itself. But have you n- noticed that right there in the middle of that word, there's these three letters, D, I, and E. It's right there in the middle of the word. And that right in the middle of the D and the E is the I, the letter I. This, this is what it means to obey. It means to, at the very centre of it, The action of obeying your master. When Jesus says, hey, would you do this for me? You go, absolutely. Because it's not about me. And I love the words that Corey Corey said as soon as he got up here this after the worship set. He wanted to bring this great word and the Lord said, Corey, it's not about you. So he had to die to that and let that come alive in others. And so he honoured the process and God released more authority and his presence I just want to quickly hear, you know, there, there is reason why moves of God and passion and fire and um, enthusiasm for the kingdom of God wanes. And I think a lot of the time it's because somewhere along the way we have said, whether we've said it loudly or quietly, we've actually said, no, God. Somewhere along the line, we've said no. Or maybe we haven't even said it. We've just kind of tried to pretend we didn't hear God saying that to us. And we've ignored him. But let me... I felt like it was really important for me to just nail this this morning. James 1, 13 says this. James 1, verse 13 says this. And and it's the issue of desire. Issue of desire. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by their own 
desire, they are dragged away and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Note the progression. Desire. What is it that's appealing to our eye, it's appealing to our emotional, deba- uh, our emotional base right now? What are we craving? What are we longing for? Or what are we lusting after? What's the desire? And then we are enticed, dragged away and enticed to, to have that craving met by the very thing that's presenting itself to us as a means of satisfaction. And then it says we are dragged away into entrapment. Now, this is all taking place even before um, Peter even uses the word sin. These are just the dynamics and the activities that are taking place that then come together to conceive sin, to give birth to sin. And when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and then sin gives birth to death. Um, Selwyn Hughes once said this in a little devotional I read. He said, either Jesus is Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. Jesus is Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. Now, I know that's a really, you know, all or nothing statement. But in this regard of growing in authority and power, it's right. It's a right statement. Obedience is the invitation from God our Father who is good and who rules the heavens and the earth to walk in relationship with him, trusting in his love, obeying his commands and following his voice and promptings. Humility leads to obedience. And there will come a moment in all of our lives where Jesus says, do this for me, will you? Now, last week I shared the story about how we raised, Nicole and I raised $1,500 for our children's education only to then be asked by Jesus to give that money away to a man that we'd met so that he could have an eye operation and receive his sight. And we did that. We gave it away. Now, the reason why we gave it away was because God was inviting us into what it meant to have him as Lord of all. Now, for me now, my daughter is about to, um, because one of our biggest fears that we had to cross and into the realm of grace was fear of my children's education because that's why we started that little money fund. Well, we spent that on another man's eye and my daughter, that money fund never got off the ground again. I think it's probably still got two bucks in it sitting somewhere. Um, it's sitting there with nothing in it, never got off the ground again, and yet my daughter is about to graduate from that very high, that very school. So she's been through all of her primary schooling, all of her high schooling at that school, and she's about to graduate. Why? Because the grace of God took care of what he knew was important to us. But in the context of that, what was important to us was always had to be servant to what was important to him in the here and the now. And he looked after us. Now, I've got to tell you, that, how many years have you been going to school? I, I, I don't know that. A lot. That number of years that she's been going to school, um, I believe, now this is my story, not yours, 
Got it? My story, not yours. Illustration, illustration. Um, I believe that when it comes to finance, as a result of that encounter with Jesus, Jesus has geared me to walk with an empty bank account, always knowing that I'll be looked after. And he has given me authority to walk with the confidence in the goodness of God as a result. I have been, I have travelled the world. I have travelled the world because Jesus said, go, and in obedience said, okay. Not even, at some points, not even having the plane ticket until 48 hours before the due departure. And yet the money came, the ticket was bought and the departure happened. Time and time again, I believe now the realm of finance for me is one where I have authority because Jesus has proven himself faithful in my context and now I lean into him every time, all the time. He's geared me for it. I got, it's really crazy. You know, I meet people who, you know, move in the prophetic and stuff like that, and they'll start praying for me, and they'll start saying, I just see God sending money, 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 showers of provision. It's all over your life, Kirk. You know how to make provision happen where there is no provision. It's just from the favour of God. And I tell you, at the time when they're prophesying that over my life, I'm like, oh, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Let's get on with business. But I tell you, to walk in the fulfilment of that prophetic word and to move in authority and power means that he's inviting me to get more and more confident in his goodness to provide. And so I grow in authority in the area of finance. Yes, Lord, it's all about you. That's our simple, wholehearted response. God's inviting each of us in different spheres and activities of our life to enter into the fullness of his kingdom life for each of us. Humble yourself and obey. You want to grow in authority and the exercising of power in your circumstance and relationships and the favour of God? Humble yourself and obey. It's the divine order of things. It's the invitation of the word of God and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to... Obedience always means leads to death. For Jesus, it was on the cross. For us, it's constantly a life of sacrifice. I'm going to push through here. We enter into the realm of grace. We find that on the other side of sacrifice, there is the favour and the provision of God all the time. All the time. All the time. Now, if we died with Christ, Paul says in Romans 6, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. This is what it means to live in grace. I now live alive, aware are sensitive to the reality of the goodness of God. Once I was dead, once I resisted the callings of his spirit on my life, once I said no to love, but then his great love found me out. 
at a moment when I wasn't watching, he caught me. He got me. And then I become one, became one who could hear his voice, could move in the nearness of his spirit. I became one who could move in power, move in healing, move in signs and wonders of his kingdom. I began to live with the kingdom of God worldview. I began to realize that there's more generosity in heaven and in the earth that I will ever need because of who I am in relationship with. I began to experience greater measures of trusting him. I remember when I first cast out a demon. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was the craziest experience. I was trying to muscle the thing out of the person, out of my own strength. And they was I mean, it was a pretty foul-mouthed spirit. This person was, uh, the demon in this person was just speaking all sorts of foul stuff at me, just swearing constantly at me. And I, I was really shaken up and taken aback the first time I cast out a demon and this was going on. I was like, hang on a minute, this is not nice, you know. I'm being abused here. Well, I went from that experience to now I have had people hiss, spit, hit, swear, abuse, that whatever, doesn't, you know, bring it all, whatever. And now I can stand in the face of it all and just say, no, you need to be quiet. And there is no fear in me when it happens anymore. There is no concern, is God going to back my act? No, because now I've gained authority in that area of kingdom life. Why? Because I followed Jesus into it. I sacrificed my capacity to be able to do something and set someone free and trusted in the one who's authorised me. I'm acting on his good kingdom government orders. No, you be quiet and come out. It's... And as, you know, I remember starting with headaches. I remember praying for people with headaches. And I got great victory when someone had a headache once and I prayed for it and they got healed. Like, yeah, that mountain just got cast into the sea. <laughs> it was a headache for crying out loud. Now we pray for all sorts of stuff. I mean, we, and we have prayed for and seen people healed of cancer. Seen it. Healed. From headaches to cancer. Why? Because God wants to grow us in humility as servants, nailed to our, 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 our master who is good, and as we humble ourselves and obey and move in his grace towards other people, authority is established on our life. God honours us. The reason why he honours us is because he's honouring Jesus at work in us. Where am I? Here we go. There's a funny word there in the Greek for um, on or exalt. I can't pronounce it, but it basically means to give the highest above the highest of highest names. Get the point? It's like there is no higher, higher, higher name. Well, Jesus is given the name above all names, Paul says in Philippians 2, a name under which everyone will bow on earth and the heavens and under the earth. There's an authority, there's an honouring of the Father on Jesus because Jesus in John 17 cries out, he says, Father, I've shown them your glory. Jesus' whole lifestyle was about honouring the Father in all that he did and with that the Father's authority was on him and he exercised that. 
to the greater glory of the Father in the earth. This, this, this is the process. This is what it means to grow up in stature and wisdom before God and in favour with men. This is what it looks like. And if you take a read through the Gospels, you will see Jesus goes through this process. And that's why Paul writes it down in Philippians 2. And that's why Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, exhorts the people of God, enter into the process. Enter into the dynamics of this relationship. If you want to see the kingdom of God, the authority of the rule and reign of God, manifest in great power for his greater glory and your joy and the well-being of others. Become a servant, humble yourself, let your yes be yes, give it away, enter into grace, become alive to him, he will lift you up, his authority will be on you and the honour of God will be established in the circumstances. This is the path. And just when you think you've done it once, let me tell you, once is never enough. God will always invite you and say, all right, now this area of your life is, 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 is growing in authority. Now let me grow you in this area of your life. Um, Jesus went from being a young boy to the man of God that he was. And I think God wants us all to grow up doesn't matter what stage and age we're at. Wherever we've had those moments of resistance and saying, no, 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 no. Let's wrap it up. There are some really good words there this morning that the Holy Spirit was sharing with us as we worshipped God and even before the service as we prayed. <clears throat> I really liked that, um, that sense of, uh, in those, those three words that were shared about hope and breakthroughs about being on lap six of seven around Jericho, hang in there, um, about a new, a new move of God taking place in people's lives and an, intimacy, and an invitation to vulnerability and intimacy with God. That's what's on the Holy Spirit's heart this morning. And I warned you up front, this is not a safe place to be on Mother's Day. This is not a safe place because God wants to bring hope and breakthrough he wants to establish your feet again on lap six of seven. He wants to birth in you again the power of his kingdom and he's inviting you again to a place of vulnerability and intimacy with him. Servant life. Servant life. Servant life.